Well, I don't know about you, but I wanted to get up this morning and just right away run to impeachment news. So, so we have a little bit of that because the hearings are are uh, are running today. Also, Iran is in shambles. There's news on Chick-fil-A that I don't understand. What the president did yesterday with Israel made the head explode of everybody at the State Department, I guarantee. And um, the guy who's probably had the worst year, beside Donald Trump, the worst year of all, Eric Swalwell. The fart's real, apparently. This is the Glenn Beck Program. All right. Welcome to the uh, program. Uh, first, let me give you a uh, let me give you an update on a couple of things. The impeachment inquiry is happening today. An NSC uh, official, Pence, uh, an aide to Pence, is going to also testify. We're going to have you know Mr. Googly Eyes uh, open it up, and he'll probably be saying some really important stuff like blah 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 blah. Uh, but we have first Jennifer Williams. She's going to be testifying. She's State Department aide with um, uh, Mike Pence. She has already testified behind closed doors. Transcript of her session was released on Saturday. She was one that was on the phone call. She listened in on July 25th and uh, said the mention of these specific investigations during the Trump Zelensky phone call seemed unusual as compared to other discussions with foreign leaders. She also testified about another phone call on September 18th between Mike Pence and Zelensky. This call was after the security uh, was delivered to the Ukraine. The committee asked her if Pence gave Zelensky any advice how to approach Trump at the U.N. General Assembly meeting. She said Pence told Zelensky President Trump would be eager uh, about President Zelensky's progress in his reform agenda. Williams then asked what Pence meant by reform agenda, and she said the anti-corruption reforms on reforming the judiciary and the legislative action and his administration, you know, the things that he was doing. He, he, you said he, she, he, that's you meaning Mike Pence said this? Uh, yeah, she said that Mike Pence said, okay, was talking mm-hmm. about an anti, anti-corruption reform. Yeah, see, Mike is doing this the right way. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. he's not... He's not blurting out names. He's being very careful with his language. Mm-hmm. And it'll be surprising that if in the end of this, we find that Mike Pence mm-hmm. has said anything on the record to anybody about anything. Right. That's what that's the way it's the way you would expect this to go down in the right. in, in the movie. Right. 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 Like if this yes. is the movie, there's some guy like Mike yes. Pence who says everything perfectly and never gets in trouble. And that's exactly what you'd expect out of Pence. No, but there's never any guy like Donald Trump in the movie. There's no. never like the mob boss who's like, you know what? I say we kill them all right now, and I'm on the record. Rudy, go on TV and say it. <laughs> that just doesn't. It doesn't happen that way. No, it makes it much so, more fun. Yeah, this way. But it doesn't. But they were on TV saying it. I know. That's showing maybe that they didn't think there was something uh, wrong with yeah, this. Right? Probably indicating when you when you send out your personal attorney to go on television and tell everybody you're going to Ukraine to look into the the obviously. Uh, I mean, to me, obvious uh, hint of corruption that's going on with the Bidens <laughs> and Ukraine. Right. The thing that, you know, places like the New York Times had already reported on in depth, you know, I, it does seem like maybe it was something he wanted you to know about. I don't know. Right. Yeah. right. I, you know, usually you hide bribery. You know, usually you're that's like, usually the way you hey, go. Yeah. let's keep this between ourselves. 
It's not like you go on TV and announce it before you do it. Hey, I just want you to know, uh, I send Rudy Giuliani over because uh, I'm having him look into some things. Uh, and, of course, we're going to bribe and, and, uh, and just kind of do all kinds of really bad things. We probably should hide that from you and the press. But we decided just to be upfront about it. <laughs> it's not, not even no. possible. Okay, a couple of other stories. First of all, also related to the impeachment. Remember what this impeachment is really all about. What is it really all about? It's not even about the 2020 election. It's about the deep state of the State Department. That's what this is really all about. The State Department is really upset. The president is running a shadow uh, policy. How can the president run a shadow... His administration is supposed to be setting the policy. So it's not a shadow policy unless you're so out of control and arrogant that you actually think that your policy, <laughs> that you're the one setting policy. Well, their argument, to be mm. fair, uh, here, to, and be give, fair. Uh, to play devil's advocate a little All bit. Right. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> their argument is the policy didn't change. So they had us over there communicating the same policies to the same people, and it, the Ukrainians kept coming back to us and saying, what is going on? You're telling me one thing, and I got Rudy Giuliani over here telling me something else. Yes, because the president didn't trust everybody else, because as we found out from, uh, from Rudy Giuliani, and he says he has five witnesses ready to attest to this, mm-hmm. um, that, that the, the, um, uh, the embassy in Ukraine was was known as Hillary Clinton campaign headquarters. It was jokingly called campaign headquarters. So, I mean, if you don't trust it, you do. You send somebody out and you're like, hey, listen, uh, don't necessarily, we got some things going on. Don't necessarily, you report right directly to me and tell me what's going on. That's what you do. Yeah, I mean, so, I think I, a, a potentially better path there. I mean, remember, nobody on earth Wanted to be Secretary of State more than Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, no, no, I know, I know. I'm just trying to get to this point. This is a this is an argument between the State Department saying that they are in charge, yeah. and the White House saying they are in charge. Well, yesterday Mike Pompeo came out, and uh, he and the President have decided uh, that uh, the policy of the State Department is wrong. Uh, in regards to um, uh, Jerusalem and Israel. And so they've decided, yeah, you know, the occupied territories, nah, we think they're fine. We think that's, uh, we don't think that's against international law. We agree with uh, the state of Israel. They have every right to occupy that. They're not actually occupying it. It's a part of Israel. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That made everybody in the head in the State Department from the old guard, their head, you could hear. I think that Eric Swalwell fart might have been the heads exploding across the street uh, at the State Department. That's it really is amazing. I mean, well timed, well timed there. Yeah, he's sending. It's interesting the way he's handling this because, you know, he's going right after him. He's going right after the intelligence. He's going right after the State Department. It's probably caused him problems, but he doesn't seem to care about it. No, no. He's just going for it. And look, this is, of course, the right policy we should point out. It is. it is part of Israel, and it's not and occupied it, territory. And it's all State Department that has kept that at bay. It's all State Department. It's like we all knew the capital of Israel was Jerusalem, right. and we all faked it 
for some reason, and we all acted as if because it wasn't. Because the State because Department. Because the State Department said it was a bad idea. And remember how it was going to make the entire Middle East explode when he changed that embassy. Right. Uh, that has not been the case. I mean, it's not. It's never pretty there. I love this. Um, but uh, I just love this. It's been positive, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, so we have uh, uh, we have that going on. Eric Schiff is still. Uh, Eric Schiff is still. I don't know who any of the people you're talking about are. Adam Schiff is a person that's involved. Oh, who in this. did I say? You said Eric Schiff. Okay. I don't know who yeah. that person is. And then you said yeah. Eric Schiff, yeah. who's also not a person. Right. Adam Schiff is the person. Adam Schiff is mm-hmm. the guy. Uh, I just can't get past his eyes. They're a little spooky. I think the Trump nickname has worked on you. You're to the point. You think Shifty Shift, Shifty Shift is his name. Uh, but his name is Shifty Schiff or Schiff, <laughs> but not Shift. I know. I, I. It's just in your head. It's in my head. It's and it's true. It's a very accurate nickname it is it is so anyway uh we have that coming on and when he stops saying all of the important things that he's saying now like this witness which is going to say something bad about donald trump is unimpeachable well he's the perfect witness that's never done anything wrong in their lives they went he played band that was the best clarinet player in his in his eighth grade okay soon as he stops talking about that we'll we'll start to Mm -hmm. cover it now uh there is one thing that I don't believe, I just don't believe this is true, that uh, Chick-fil-A has, has gotten out of their relationships with uh, the Salvation Army and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes because they're dropping their anti-LGBTQI square thing. Plus. Plus, thank you. Uh, they're dropping all of that. Uh, now, because of, you know, they need the, what, the gay chicken money? You want the gay chicken money. Everybody <laughs> wants the gay chicken money. Everybody's happy. Every, that. You've got to get Everybody, the gay chicken yeah. money. Right now, Popeye's is like, oh, we almost had them. <laughs> the future of this economy is gay, chicken, gay, money. gay chicken money. There's mm-hmm. no way this is true. I mean, well, it it's is true. true. It's true. But there's no way this is this is being spun by the press. In my opinion, we will find out this is being spun by the press to hurt Chick-fil-A. To make people like me. Now, look, if it is, if they're like, we got to have the gay chicken money. I'm telling you right now. We did this whole God thing for a while. We stood (laughs) on our principles for a while. But we're at the point where we can dominate and put all chicken people out of business if we just get the gay chicken money. And we want to say officially, marriage needs to be between a man and a man. No gender marriage is weird. In fact, there is no such thing as gender. No such thing. These chickens are all genderless chickens. If that's what's happening, then I... I'm really upset at, yeah. at Chick-fil-A, but I don't think so. It's hard to believe. I mean, we've yeah. had Dan Cathy on. Like, the guy risked his entire business to make this moral stand, and now he's just like, ah, who cares about the – I need no gay fried chicken money. <laughs> no Give way. it to me. There's no way. It doesn't seem no. like him at all. Now, no. Now, the Chick-fil-A – has not really given their side of the story. The only thing they said is they had a multi-year agreement with the charities like Salvation Army, and that's come to an end, and they're moving the money to other charities, which they say uh, only it's going to be limited to three categories, education, homelessness, and hunger, 
which seems like right in the wheelhouse of Salvation Army. Like it's well, kind of like yeah, a lot of the stuff that they the do. The homeless and hunger thing, that is kind right. of. And, and the Christian athletes probably has something to do with education, I would assume, too, when it comes to, uh, it's probably related to So I'm not really sure, but they, yeah. there's no problem. That doesn't mean that they had a problem or they were changing their, their <laughs> they, they're suddenly going after the gay chicken money. Look, gay people eat Chick-fil-A. I, I just have to tell you. Now, social justice warriors, maybe they don't. Seems like they do. I've seen the numbers from Chick-fil-A. Everybody loves Chick-fil-A. Everybody. It's Mm. Jesus' chicken. If Jesus would have, if he didn't have fish, if he only had two chickens, in that basket would have been 5,000 Chick-fil-A sandwiches. (laughs) I'm telling you right now. Uh, The best part about this one was when some NFL athlete was hit up by some social justice warrior. Uh, on Twitter and was like, look, do you understand what Chick-fil-A stands for? Because he had posted that he was eating there. Like, do you understand what the Chick-fil-A stands for? They stand against gay people and blah, blah, all these things that aren't really true. <laughs> and then uh, he just responded, chicken too tasty. And like, that's the greatest point of all time. Like, that's the truth. It's just that's chicken too tasty. That's the one thing we have. They've got Disney. They've got all the parks. <laughs> they've, got, they've got all the movie. They have everything. This is all we have is the chicken people. Okay, that's the only thing that we have where 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 social justice warriors and and freaks are just like I can't. I can't it's too good. I can't not eat it. Chicken too tasty. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we have Devin Nunez about to. Uh, he's just starting to speak here. Uh, uh, should we come to him here in a minute after our? Uh, yeah, let's quick, do a quick one minute, one minute and then we'll take him because sixty that, seconds away. That means that Adam Schiff only has a little more to say after that. Blah 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 blah. And then we'll uh, we'll hear from our. Our first, um, first, um, what do you call it? Person trying to sandbag Trump. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's uh, join just uh, real quick. Um, this question start Nunez. with what is the full extent of the Democrats' prior coordination with Schiff. the whistleblower? And who else did the whistleblower coordinate this effort with? The media have fully accepted the Democrats' stunning reversal on the need for the whistleblower to testify to this committee. When the Democrats were insisting on his testimony, the media wanted it too. But things have changed since it became clear the whistleblower would have to answer problematic questions that include these. What was the full extent of the whistleblower's prior coordination with Chairman Schiff, his staff, and any other people he cooperated with while preparing the complaint? I just don't see this ending well for the what Democrats. What are the whistleblower's mm. political biases and connections to Democratic politicians? How does the whistleblower explain the inaccuracies in the complaint? What contact did the whistleblower have with the media, which appears to be ongoing? Wow. What well, are the sources that's of the whistleblower's true? information? Who else did he talk to? And was the whistleblower prohibited by law from receiving or conveying any of that information? The media have joined the Democrats in dismissing the importance of cross-examining this crucial witness. Now that the whistleblower has successfully kick-started up. he has disappeared from the story, as if the Democrats put the whistleblower in their own witness protection program. My second question, what was the full extent of Ukraine's election meddling against the Trump campaign? 
In these depositions and hearings, Republicans have cited numerous indications of Ukraine meddling in the 2016 elections to oppose the Trump campaign. Many of these instances were reported, including the posting of many primary source documents by veteran investigative journalist John Solomon. Since the Democrats switched from Russia to Ukraine for their impeachment crusade, Solomon's reporting on Burisma, Hunter Biden, and Ukraine election meddling has become inconvenient for the Democratic narrative, and so the media is furiously smearing and libeling Solomon. It's crazy that I mean, here we, we had Solomon on all these times, and he was just like given good reporting, and now all of a sudden he's the focus of this impeachment hearing. Yeah. It's incredible. And he's been on with us for over a year on this, yeah. and been going back and forth. He is such an honest guy. He really has done his reporting. He's not some political hack. He worked for the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Associated Press for 20 years. And now they're just slaughtering him. So now that Solomon's reporting is a problem for the Democrats, it's a problem for the media as well. Amen. I'd like to submit for the record John Solomon's October 31st story entitled Debunking Some of Ukraine's Scandal Myths About Biden and Election Interference. I encourage viewers today to read this story and draw your own conclusions about the evidence Solomon has gathered. 2017 article. Ask unanimous consent that we put this into the record, Mr. Chair. Without objection. All right, now they're going to get to they're going to get to uh, this next. Uh, we're going to hear from uh, we're going to hear from several people today. Uh, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Alexander Vinman. This is the guy that we've already heard from somewhat in uh, closed door testimony. Um, he was told on July 10th that the meeting with Zelensky at the White House was conditioned on them opening an investigation into the Bidens. He said the message was delivered to Ukraine by Gordon Sondland. Uh, Sondland said he was directed to deliver the message by Mick Mulvaney. He also testified that Rudy Giuliani's involvement undermined U.S. government efforts to expand cooperation with Ukraine. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, if you saw the special last week, uh, you saw their operation in Ukraine, and it probably should have been limited. All right, welcome to the program. Uh, we have now a, a Pence aide, uh, and she is now delivering her opening statement to the hearing. Let's listen in. I also informed the NSC that the vice president would not be attending so that it could identify a head of delegation to represent the United States at President-elect Zelensky's inauguration. On July 3rd, I learned that the Office of Management and Budget had placed a hold on a tranche of security assistance designated for Ukraine. According to the information I received, OMB was reviewing whether the funding was aligned with the administration's priorities. I subsequently attended meetings of the Policy Coordination Committee where the hold on Ukrainian security assistance was discussed. During those meetings, representatives of the State and Defense Departments advocated that the hold should be lifted and OMB representatives reported that the White House Chief of Staff had directed that the hold should remain in place. On September 11th, I learned that the hold on security assistance for Ukraine had been released. I have never learned what prompted that decision. On July 25th, along with several of my colleagues, 
I listened to a call between President Trump and President Zelensky, the content of which has since been... During my closed-door deposition, members of the committee asked about my personal views and whether I had any concerns about the July 25th call. As I testified then, I found the July 25th phone call unusual because in contrast to other presidential calls I had observed, it involved discussion of what appeared to be a domestic political matter. After the July 25th call, I provided an update in the Vice President's daily briefing book indicating that President Trump had a call that day with President Zelensky. A hard copy of the memorandum transcribing the call was also included in the book. I do not know whether the Vice President reviewed my update or the transcript. I did not discuss the July 25th call with the Vice President or any of my colleagues in the Office of the Vice President or the NSC. On August 29th, I learned that the Vice President would be traveling to Poland to meet with President Zelensky on September 1st. At the September 1st meeting, which I attended, President Zelensky asked the Vice President about news articles reporting a hold on U.S. security assistance for Ukraine. The Vice President responded that Ukraine had the United States' unwavering support and promised to relay their conversation to President Trump that night. During the September 1st meeting, neither the Vice President nor President Zelensky mentioned the specific investigations discussed during the July 25th phone call. Thank you again for the opportunity to provide this statement. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Now we go to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman and members, his opening thank statement. Thank you for the opportunity to address the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence with respect to the activities relating to Ukraine and my role in the events under investigation. I've dedicated my entire professional life to the United States of America. For more than two decades, it has been my honor to serve as an officer in the United States Army. As an infantry officer, I served multiple overseas tours, including South Korea and Germany, and I was deployed to Iraq for combat operations. Since 2008, I have been a foreign area officer specializing in European and Eurasian political military affairs. I served in the United States embassies in Kiev, Ukraine, and Moscow, Russia. In Washington, D.C., I was the political military affairs officer for Russia for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, where I drafted the Armed Forces Global Campaign Plan to counter Russian aggression and Russian malign influence. In July 2018, I was asked to serve at the White House National Security Council. At the NSC, I'm the principal advisor to the National Security Advisor on Ukraine and other countries in my portfolio. My role at the NSC is to develop, coordinate, and implement plans and policies to manage the full range of diplomatic, informational, military, and economic national security issues the countries in my portfolio. My core function is to coordinate policy with departments and agencies. The committee has heard from many of my colleagues about the strategic importance of Ukraine as a bulwark against Russian aggression. It is important to note that our country's policy of supporting Ukrainian sovereignty and territorial integrity, promoting Ukrainian prosperity, and strengthening a free and democratic Ukraine as a counter to Russian aggression has been a consistent bipartisan foreign policy objective and strategy across various administrations, both Democratic and Republican. And that President Zelensky's election in April 2019 created an unprecedented opportunity to realize our, strategy, our strategic objectives. In the spring of 2019, I became aware of two disruptive actors, primarily Ukraine's then-prosecutor Yurlitsenko and former Mayor Rudolph Giuliani, President's personal attorney, promoting false narratives 
that undermined the United States Ukraine policy. The NSC and its interagency partners, including the State Department, grew increasingly concerned about the impact that such information was having on our country's ability to achieve our national security objectives. On April 21, 2019, Vladimir Zelensky was elected President of Ukraine in a landslide victory on a unity, reform, and anti-corruption platform. President Trump called President Zelensky on April 21, 2019 to congratulate him on his victory. I was the staff officer who produced the call materials and was one of the staff officers who listened to the call. The call was positive and President Trump expressed his desire to work with President Zelensky and extended an invitation to visit the White House. In May, I attended the inauguration of President Zelensky as part of the presidential delegation led by Secretary Perry. Following the visit, the members of the delegation provided President Trump a debriefing offering a positive assessment of President Zelensky and his team. After this debriefing, President Trump signed a congratulatory letter to President Zelensky and extended an, another invitation to visit the White House. Gripping. On July 10, 2019, Alexander Danyaluk, then Ukraine's national security advisor, I mean, none advisor, of this sounds Washington insidious from either of them at this point. No. Ambassador Volker and Sondland, Ambassadors Volker and Sondland, and Secretary Rick Perry also attended the meeting. I attended with Dr. Hill. We fully anticipated the Ukrainians would raise the issue of, meeting, of a meeting between the presidents. Ambassador Bolton cut the meeting short when Ambassador Sondland started to speak about the requirement that Ukraine deliver specific investigations in order to secure the meeting with President Trump. Following this meeting, there was a short debriefing during which Ambassador Sondland emphasized the importance of Ukraine delivering the investigations into the 2016 elections, the Bidens and Burisma. Now remember, I stated to Ambassador Sondland that this was inappropriate and had nothing to do with national security. Uh, remember that Bolton is also, I believe, a deep state kind of guy. Not a deep state Obama kind of guy, but a deep state kind of guy on the right. President Zelensky won a parliamentary election in another landslide victory. The NSC proposed that President Trump call President Zelensky to congratulate him. On July 25th, 2019, the call occurred. I listened on the, in on the call in the Situation Room with White House colleagues. I was concerned by the call. What I heard was inappropriate, and I reported my concerns to Mr. Eisenberg. It is improper for the President of the United States to demand a foreign government investigate a U.S. citizen and a political opponent. I was also clear that if Ukraine pursued an investigation, it was, it was also clear that if Ukraine pursued an investigation into the 2016 elections, the Bidens and Burisma, it would be interpreted as a partisan play. This would undoubtedly result in Ukraine losing bipartisan support, undermining U.S. national security, and advancing so, Russia's strategic objectives. Can I ask objective. a question on this? This first of all, um, that's not all he was asking to investigate. He was asking to investigate, even if it was. Let's just say it was. You're investigating the vice president and his son, mm -hmm. who was paid millions of dollars for no reason while the father was distributing uh, funds to that country for the industry that the son was just in. Right. That's bad corruption. By the way, those funds were all lost. Okay. So we have... We have $7 billion that just disappeared. And the target of this investigation was the main competition to the company Joe Biden's son was working for. Correct. So 
what what exactly is the problem here asking for that yes he happened to have been running for uh the president you know as the president's opponent not yet but not yet but would be so yes there was an added benefit there but every we were talking about this being investigated before trump got into office Mm-hmm. You know, these things should have been investigated before, but we know why they weren't because of the deep state. The other thing is when they say they didn't want to bring this up, you know, they didn't want Trump investigating this stuff because it would be such it would be seen as bipartisan. I mean, uh, 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 partisan partisan and the bipartisan agreement on Ukraine would go away. Well, What's happening now? Yeah, what's this? this well, is, what is this? They're very much now involved in political uh, disputes in the United States. Right. I mean, the, this, all the stuff the, that they said they wanted to stop, they're now they're testifying doing. on the behalf of. And everything that they said Donald Trump was doing, they're doing. And this idea that you can't, you can't investigate a political opponent because they're a political opponent. What are Democrats doing right now, would you say? Are they, de- are they investigating the, you know, President Trump? Should President Trump be immune from all investigation because he's the political opponent of the Democrats? Like, no. That's why this being so partisan is so bad. Because there's, there's, if if this were true, if this was, if this was a legitimate in, inquiry, it would be okay. If it was a legitimate inquiry into Russia, but it wasn't, as we found out. I was for the inquiry into Russia, and I didn't think that Trump did anything but, no, <laughs> do i think i'd like to know if he did yeah and yeah. i did think that trump would have liked to do something you know <laughs> anybody hillary clinton everyone if somebody comes to you and says hey i by the way i've got the dirt on it's going to take him out i think all i think every politician under the sun is having that meeting or, and they want something to happen or at least they're having some aid right. off the record somehow the or meeting, another right? they're taking that meeting so uh you know let's not be so high and mighty here However, if he had done that and he was colluding with Russia, I would have been all for the impeachment, all for it. But as we as we come to find out, that's not what was happening. Mm-hmm. This was a partisan investigation into him. This is a partisan investigation into into him now. If you were going to do it fairly, openly, and you were actually looking for honest answers, this is great. But this is using tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, for what? To discredit the president of the United States who's running for re-election. Which is the same thing they're investigating Trump for. Trump for for doing. Right? Like, it's hilarious. They're legitimately doing the same thing. Yeah. The same thing. Okay, they're getting into questions here in just a second. So let me pause, and then we'll come back as they get into questions. Because that's what I really, that's what I really want to hear. Well, I don't know. I mean, we're just debating. We have so many things to go on uh, that we have to cover today. We have Adam Schiff. He's he's about to start asking questions. We also have Fartgate uh, that is uh, that is happening. We need a fart investigation on this because I don't I don't know if I buy the media spit on it. You know, there's there's too much conflicting information. Can on we this. please play Eric Swalwell uh, being interviewed by uh, Chris Matthews yesterday? This audio is real. Taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help them cheat an election. And the complaint that I've heard from Republicans. 
All right, let's hear One it again. One more time. One more time. Taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help them cheat an election. And the complaint that I, I heard... I mean, from- his shoulders go yeah. up. Yeah. I now, mean, there's a physical reaction visually that you yeah, can... Yeah, and you he can pauses. Do- mm-hmm. Now, Chris Matthews says that's just a coffee cup coming across the table. Let's listen to it with thinking about a coffee cup. Could it be a coffee cup? Taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help them cheat an election. And the complaint that I've heard from a... Could be, maybe... I don't Maybe. know. It could be. We we should try to recreate. I got a coffee cup here. Well, you got to no. take a, take the the uh, the pens out of it. You might need some liquid. Do you have any liquid you can put in that thing? Well, I got to get all this. This table is too smooth. I think. Yeah, it is. Well, what kind of? I mean, they're getting no. You're getting no, no friction at all on this table. What kind of play that again? What kind of table does that have Taxpayer to be? Taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help them cheat an election, and the complaint that I've you heard know, Chris from Chris Matthews is the one who said it. I I don't think that there would be a problem believing that Chris Matthews has bad gas problems. Well, and there's an indication. I mean, this goes back historically to whoever smelt it, dealt it. Correct. Um, and so correct. Uh, now, is that hearsay? Do you have mm-hmm. first-hand knowledge of he who smelt it, dealt it, or is this? I mean, I. It's I mean, hearsay. Don't get me wrong. Hearsay is as good as oh, any, as good as gold. As good as gold. Yeah. Oh, as any yeah. first-hand, I was there, eyewitness kind of stuff. Here's the thing. Mm. To me, it, it while it does sort of look like Swalwell farts there, I don't know if the audio fits it. There's not. It's an, he's in an echoey room. He's supposedly wearing a lapel mic, which would not indicate, like, it's too far away from his butt for the for the, the air to be that clear. It's a Play it one more time. Mm-hmm. Taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help him cheat an election. And the complaint that I don't know. Republic- it seems to me more like Chris Matthews ripped one in the studio, and he's trying to hide it. I don't know, but our investigation, it'll go into tens of millions of dollars and mm-hmm. we'll spend about three years on Fartgate mm-hmm. uh, as we look into what's in Swalwell's pants and what did Chris Matthews know and when did he know it? You're listening to Glenn Beck. I prefer not to look at what's in Swalwell's pants myself, but that's up, you know, that's up to you. It might sure. be a separate I mean, investigation. I mean, I'm doing. not interested either, but I got to get to the facts.